Welcome to a podcast with Aaron Schultz. Men's mental health matters. Live life with an outback mind. Thank you very, very much for joining in. Episode 223 today. Very uh, important uh, and interesting topic we're going to be talking about today. Uh, with Mr. Steve McDonald here at Agnes Water. I have Steve with me. How are you? Hi, Aaron. I'm good. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Great to be here. Mate, awesome. Uh, this uh, gentleman I have with me is a, a fantastic human being, very, very knowledgeable in very many, many areas, um, has got a tremendous background we're going to talk a lot about today. Um, but Steve, you know, primarily has joined me to talk about uh, his journey with using psychedelics to cure his own PTSD or heal his own PTSD. And uh, ever since, he's been on a journey of self-discovery uh, with that and also is now, I think, chair of the um, Psychedelic Research uh, Institute of Australia. Is that right? So, uh, psychedelic Research in Science and Medicine. Yep. Yeah, I am the chair of that, yeah, and yeah. One, of, one of the co-founders. Right, unbelievable. Now, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the deep stuff soon, but... Now, my experience with psychedelics has been minimal. I've never really, I've never touched them, you know. Um, I suppose I, I've had no, no need to or no curiosity to, but what I'm really keen to, to, you know, discover in this conversation is, you know, people that have got, you know, serious PTSD, depression or anxiety are, are having pretty good results, um, you know, moving that uh, on um, with, with the use of psychedelics and, you um, we're gonna we're gonna sort of talk pretty deeply that as uh, about that as we go. But um, Steve, I'd just like the listeners to hear a bit about your own journey. Um, you know, as as an individual, Steve McDonald, and um, uh, obviously you were a helicopter pilot in the army. What was life like before you uh, sort of entered that field? Well, I I joined the army at nineteen, uh, so I was pretty young, and I went in with the intention of being a helicopter pilot. And uh, I so I went through all my training and, and ended up a, a pilot uh, in a, a reconnaissance helicopter squadron, and that was back in the early '80s, uh, so a long time ago now. Uh, and I, I flew for five years altogether in the military, and towards the end of it, I started to get a bit bored and get itchy feet, and um, I, I thought about possibly leaving the army, but I was very keen to work with people. I had a sort of a, a, a desire uh, and an interest in, you know, how people think and behave and, and work in teams and wanted to, to sort of immerse my, myself in that from a work point of view. So I ended up with some difficulty achieving a transfer out of the aviation corps in the army into the infantry, um, which is a pretty unlikely journey for most people. And a lot of people thought I was crazy. Going backwards. Uh, going, yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of going from, from flying in a, a comfy chair to carrying a pack up and down a hill. Um, but uh, I had no regrets. I really enjoyed that. And, and then I spent the rest of my 15-year military career in the infantry um, and had some lots of very, very interesting experiences. It was very satisfying, yeah. Mm, amazing, mate. 
and uh, <coughs> part, part of that journey, of course, was I, I went to uh, war in Africa in 1993 in Somalia uh, for five months as a, an infantry major mm -hmm. uh, and got to witness a society that was in collapse where the government wasn't functioning, the utilities weren't functioning, and you know the, mm. the, there was a more or less a, a civil war going on there mm. at the time, uh, and that was uh, it was one of those extreme experiences of life where some of it was mind-blowingly amazing, and some of it was traumatic. Mm. Uh, and of course, I, I came out of that uh, suffering post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, although I I lived with that for quite a few years after I got back. Um, and uh, eventually when I did get out of the army, which really wasn't long after I got back from, from Somalia, uh, I left the army and I went back flying again. Uh, and I ended up uh, doing a couple of short jobs and then uh, got a job flying a rescue helicopter in Mackay, Queensland, mm. uh, and did that for five years. And of course that involved a whole bunch of trauma again, you know, going to road accidents and, and all sorts of things as well. Mm. Um, so by the time I finished that job, I was primed for a breakdown, to be honest. Mm. Uh, having had uh, some childhood trauma through uh, an accident that occurred when I was a kid, and then my war service, and then the, the emergency services. How old were you when that all uh, happened? How old were you at the time? Um, <clears throat> I I left the army in nineteen ninety. Six early '96, and uh, and then flew the rescue helicopter in Mackay uh, uh, through to 2001. So, and I would have been uh, just short of 40 years old. So, when I, when I left flying, and then it was a couple of years later that uh, I actually had a breakdown, uh, and I was living in Melbourne at the time, and I went into hospital into the the veteran psychiatry ward at the Repat Hospital in Heidelberg. Mm. Uh, suffering from PTSD quite badly. Mm. That was early 2000s? Yeah, that was uh, 2003, uh, that breakdown. So, so I was um, about 40, 40, 41 years old. Mm. Yeah, about, so. Was there much support for an ex-serviceman back then that was experiencing this? Was there a judgment or uh, was there sort of uh, like real compassion for what you'd been going through and support to want to try and help you? Uh, there was very good support from an organisation called, at the time it was called the Vietnam Veterans Counselling Service, and it was an independent counselling service which had been set up by Vietnam veterans themselves because the government system failed them, mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, and I, I you know, got great assistance there, and then of course when I went into hospital, uh, I went through the mainstream treatment system. And I, I had fairly intensive counselling, both individual and then group counselling with other veterans. I went on antidepressants for about 18 months uh, and then came out of all of that uh, still quite broken mm -hmm. and realising that the mainstream treatment system wasn't working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, firstly, good on you for like, questioning and being curious and, and you know, like trying to find alternatives. Um, geez, mate, at 42 or 43, that's a, it's a big step to be able to sort of, you know, um, like, you know, find a pathway of self-healing. That, that took you into curiosity about using or sort of trying psychedelics to be able to sort of shift the PTSD? Well, actually, no. Um, I, at the time that I had that breakdown, I was working as a consultant in the area of uh, change, change management, and particularly culture change. 
So I was on top of a lot of you know human behavioural studies and those sorts of things, and I had a, a colleague who had grown up in Glasgow and he'd been part of the gang scene, you know, as a kid in Glasgow, as a teenager, and he'd had some exposure to LSD. And uh, he was having a chat to me one day and told me that he thought there was potential for it to be some sort of developmental tool, you know, and that did sort of uh, ignite my curiosity. So I said to him, well, if we ever get a chance to try something like that and we know that it's safe, you know, maybe maybe we could go and do it together. Um, and then it would have been probably about three years later that he rang me up one day and he said, hey, I've just been invited to this ayahuasca ceremony. And, uh, and I said, what's that? <laughs> I had no idea. Um, and it turns out it, it is a psychoactive medicine that's used traditionally by the, the native people in uh, South America. Uh, and uh, I had to get on the web and sort of search for it and find out what it was and what it does and those sorts of things. But uh, I, uh, I took up uh, the offer of, uh, my, my friend had been invited to, to go to a small ceremony and this was actually in suburban Melbourne at the time. Uh, and I, I went along out of curiosity. I had no idea that it could be a medicine really. Uh, I was more interested from a consciousness perspective and a, and a personal development perspective. And then after that first experience, uh, my depression lifted quite quickly uh, and uh, that sort of blew me away and, and it was only at that moment that I realised wow this stuff is actually medicine mm -hmm. yeah so were you on medication and that at the time no I wasn't at the time uh, as I said before I went on antidepressants for about 18 months but towards the end of that I felt really uncomfortable being on that medication I just didn't like it I didn't feel like it was helping me at all uh, and um, and I went along to uh, a regular, I think I was having like six weekly uh, checkups with my psychiatrist at the time. And I said to him, how long do you think it'll be before I can come off the pills, doc? And uh, he looked at me and laughed, seriously. <laughs> he laughed at me and he said, no one really comes off the pills. Uh, and so I, I thought, oh, okay, well, I'm coming off the pills uh, and, and I... Again, I ended up getting on the internet looking up how do I wean myself off this particular medication and, uh, and I did that. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily easy either. I, I had a bit of a hard time weaning myself off it, but I did, yeah. Again, congratulations for, for that. You know, that's, that's very brave because I think we get anchored down by what, you know, the, the medical system tells us and uh, we believe that to be, you know, to, to be the only way. But, um, you know, uh, it takes a bit of courage to be able to, you know, try other things or, or, you know, do something else which can shift your energy and shift your emotions. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, I would say it's probably becoming more common that people are starting to look at, at those options rather than sort of, you know, staying um, in that stuck mindset where you, you, you're on them for life, I suppose. Yeah, yeah it, it, look, it is sad and it's, it's, it's one of those kind of don't try this at home <laughs> recommendations. Mm. Um, but uh, the truth is that our, our mainstream medical system is really being held hostage to the pharmaceutical industry and you know uh, a lot of doctors don't know anything except prescribing a particular pill yes. know, and, and, that's, and not much more, yeah. which is a shame. Just, just on that, so over the, the course of the last uh, half century, um, this has become more and more prevalent 
you know, I guess people that are struggling with a mental health challenge um, uh, are usually given that as a first option uh, to, to, to go to medication. But, you know, if there's an imbalance there, sometimes that, that imbalance can be corrected possibly, you know, um, whether that's using a psychedelic or whether it's using exercise or better nutrition or whatever, you know, there might be just something in you that can, that can get back into alignment. But I just think, um, yeah, we'll talk a bit about Bora as, as we go. Um, but yeah, I, I feel really disappointed that um, the, the GPs are, are still going for the prescription book first and foremost without asking too many questions. Yeah. Um, and obviously you were, you were probably victim to that earlier on the piece as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did have, I feel like I did have some benefit from the antidepressants initially, like perhaps in the first uh, month or two that I took them. Um, but, you know, that was just a... A subjective impression. Uh, I can't guarantee that it was the antidepressants that were that were mm. benefiting me, but uh, generally, yeah, they, they made me feel uh, off. You know, uh, like mm. I was a bit disconnected from reality. Yes, to be honest yeah. with you, I, I hear yeah. that a lot. You know, yeah. I hear that uh, a lot from people. Um, and uh, yeah, look, you know, your body's got to deal with chemicals, and uh, when it's dealing with chemicals, um, you know, it can't be um, it can't be be healthy. You know, too healthy. I would have thought so. You know, I'd have to seriously question, um, you know, the dosage uh, uh, escalation if that was happening to try and get things back into balance because it's, it's temporary and, and really, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's uh, so much evidence now coming out that, um, that you know, medication, you know, is, is definitely needed in some circumstances, but uh, in, in the majority, I guess it can be, um, can be something which can be overcome and, and you can start to, to, to get your own uh, power back. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And that depression in particular is one area where psychedelics are really showing a lot of promise. Mm. Uh, and of course, it is possible in Australia now to legally access ketamine for depression. And uh, usually that's given at a, a clinic or a, a doctor's uh, surgery. Um, and sometimes uh, either um, intravenously um, and possibly also through a, a nasal applicator. And the research is showing that ketamine doesn't actually resolve depression, but it will provide relief uh, for a number of weeks usually between treatments. Okay. So personally, I'm seeing it as a good uh, kind of first aid go-to if somebody's you know suffering from depression badly and, mm-hmm. and at risk, uh, a ketamine treatment can take the pressure off. Uh, until uh, you know a, another treatment is available. Yeah. Is that a plant medicine? No, ketamine is a, a drug that was developed by drug companies um, and was developed as an anaesthetic. Uh, and uh, it was particularly used during the Vietnam War as a, a field anaesthetic because it, it doesn't depress the, the breathing mechanism in the brain. Uh, and so it's a relatively safe one to use when you, you're not uh, you know, next to a hospital or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah, But it's still widely used in emergency departments around Australia today. Okay, yeah. Yeah, interesting. So, so just getting um, you know back uh, into uh, I suppose your your journey and your experience with this. So you 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 uh, tried ayahuasca to start with. Yeah. And then and how did things sort of um, you know break open from there? Well, when I realised that it was was actually uh, a medicine and helping me, uh, of course, then I wanted to try it again. And so, at that time, uh, the the uh, the facilitator who was who was making that available in Melbourne was travelling around and would come to Melbourne about once every three or four months. And so 
I uh, made it a point of getting along, you know, when I could and, and accessing that again. And I found that it progressively uh, helped me. Um, it, it was certainly no quick fix for my PTSD, although I'm sure that it did help to some extent. But um, my journey with PTSD has been a very long-term one. Mm. And I'm even, even today uh, still dealing with remnant symptoms mm. from that, although I'm, you know, I'm living a, a, a much more normal life than I used two years ago. Mm. Uh, that's for sure. Um, so uh, I did that. I, I continued to access the ayahuasca. Uh, and it's, you know, it's uh, not always an easy ride. It, you know, it's one of the more powerful uh, medicines that really demands respect ayahuasca and um, you re- particularly need to be careful where you're getting it from and who's giving it to you because it's um, you know it's, it's much more powerful than other things like MDMA or ketamine for example mm. and really needs to be given in the right place at the right time by somebody who knows what they're doing um, I did travel over to Central America and do a retreat over there uh, which uh, was run by some people who came up from Ecuador, from the Sequoia tribe, who were traditional uh, practitioners of ayahuasca, which was a, a great experience. Mm. Uh, and then um, after probably about three years or so of uh, accessing that medicine, you know, every three or four months, um, I still needed to go back into hospital at one point for my PTSD. So my depression was was essentially resolved Mm -hmm. but my PTSD was still showing up in things like just general life disruption anxiety attacks and those sorts of things Mm -hmm. and I did go back into hospital for a short time uh, and that would have been 2009 Um, and as a result of that I'd had to basically stop work uh, and I was running my own uh, management consulting business in Melbourne at the time and I realised when I was in hospital, I had one of those kind of light bulb moments where I realised that, oh gosh, I've had to stop my work. I'm, you know, no one's relying on me anymore at the moment because I can't work. And I saw that was an, actually an opportunity for change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I took that opportunity and decided to move from Melbourne north to uh, Byronshire, to the Byron Bay area, uh, which of course is a, is a hotbed of uh, natural therapies and plant medicines and those sorts of things. And that was what attracted me there, was to, was to get up there and to understand more about these medicines and how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, did yeah. you, um, <clears throat> with regards to that, that hospital period, did, did you sort of relapse back into relying on medication that again then? Or? No, I didn't. Yeah. In fact, I, when I went back in a hospital, I told the doctors that I did not want any medication. And they, they agreed to that without any argument, which surprised me, actually. But <laughs> what I'm hearing is you probably really needed a rest. Uh, I think yeah. that that was definitely part of it. Yeah. yeah, 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 and it was only a short stint. You know, it wasn't yeah. wasn't a long stay yeah. in hospital. Yeah. Um, but probably the next most significant thing after that uh, stay in hospital, and I think I moved to to Byron, probably within about a month of getting out of hospital. Um, and then the next most significant thing that happened to me was the next year in twenty ten. Uh, I started hearing in the media about the MDMA research that was being done in America by MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Um, And I was following that and then I saw that the the founder, Rick Doblin, was coming to speak at a conference in Melbourne in late 2010. So I decided to to fly down to Melbourne and go and listen to, to what he had to say. 
and um, during his talk, he offered some money to help establish research in Australia, and particularly uh, research into MDMA mm -hmm. as a psychedelic medicine. And so that, that uh, really caught my attention. And the day after that conference, uh, they called an impromptu gathering to talk with Rick about how that might happen. And so I went along to that and I, I volunteered to help. Mm. And what came out of that was early the next year in 2011, a small group of started a non-profit organization called Psychedelic Research in Science and Medicine. And with the, a lot of help from MAPS, we set about trying to establish MDMA research in Australia. Mm. And with hindsight, um, we were on a very, very steep learning curve because we had a, a bunch of people who'd not been involved in the drug development industry before who all of a sudden put their hands up and decided that they were going to work, you know, mm. without any prior experience. Mm. Um, but we did have, we had, our core team was, was uh, a biochemist, um, a psychologist, uh, and myself really and, and I, I sort of came from having a background of uh, personally experienced healing through psychedelic medicines mm. and, and uh, hanging out in the, in the psychedelic medicine underground for you know, some years in Byron Bay mm. um, and, and, I, and I must say that the other two uh, members of the, the sort of core group Martin Williams and Stephen Bright were also you know, very experienced users of uh, psychedelic medicines as well mm. Um, and in fact, um, you know, had more experience than I did, uh, but but in a different way. You know, not not as a, a veteran with PTSD who was yes. trying to get healed. You know, yeah. Yeah. so um, we uh, we basically grabbed everybody nearby who you know wanted to help and put together a, threw together a team, and we tried to get a a treatment protocol approved by an ethics committee the next year, and in, in that was uh, twenty twelve. And uh, they just kind of slapped us down and said, you guys need to get some research experience under your belts and you need an institution to back you up, like a hospital or a university. So, so we kind of uh, had a, a big uh, reality check there and, and you know, went off and started knocking on doors, basically, of hospitals and universities, saying, hey, uh, would you like to help us get this happening in Australia? And meantime, MAPS was progressing their research uh, quite effectively in the US. Uh, but you know, one thing I've learned is that this process of drug development is a, normally a very long-term process and can take you know, up to 20 years sometimes to bring a drug to market, a new mm -hmm. drug. And in fact, MAPS, um, I think MAPS got approval for their first clinical trial in about 2003, and they're just finishing uh, or just have finished their phase three trials in America, like I think mm. in the last month or so, um, and still need to report on that. Uh, and so they haven't, taken MDMA to the point of being prescription medicine in the USA yet mm. you know and this this is what 20 years on mm. uh, so it's a long road normally mm. um, but, but we are seeing a lot of attitudes changing around the world and there you know there are states in the USA that are where people are they're holding ballots and people are voting to legalize mm. psychedelic medicines and those sorts of things mm. so I think we're getting closer and closer to kind of a breakthrough moment what are the most popular psychedelics now, like this day and age, that people um, commonly um, would like to, you know, try or go to uh, if they're suffering from, say, depression or uh, anxiety or PTSD? What are, the, what are the most common common ones? Um, 
really any of the classic psychedelics are, are going to be useful for depression, it seems. Uh, so, you know, anything from LSD to ayahuasca, DMT, um, psilocybin from magic mushrooms, uh, and then also, of course, ketamine uh, is, is uh, effective short term. So most of the research that's being done around the world uh, around depression is, is looking at those, you know, particular thing, particularly psilocybin at the moment is, is quite a, uh, a common one. Um, and uh, of course, then you've got MDMA, uh, which is, you know, MAPS has been trialing to treat PTSD uh, to good effect. Um, so I guess they're, they're probably the most common and, and the most spoken about and the most researched at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, ayahuasca, I must point out, that was a plant medicine and there, there's a problem from a scientific angle uh, researching plant medicines because when you're making a drug in a laboratory, you can calculate the dosage you know, very, very accurately. Mm-hmm. But when you're picking a plant and trying to make a, a dose out of it, uh, it's a much more difficult process not easy at all and so there hasn't really been a lot of formal research around ayahuasca from from that medicinal angle yet quite a few yeah Yeah. just um just sort of fast tracking things a little bit with regards to um you know those those plant medicines do you believe that that that's what was created for us to be able to heal these issues um you know from from nature like there's obviously a, a an element there which is um, which has been created uh, for for humans to be able to help them uh, deal with adversity. I believe plants and plant medicines really hold the key to um, to to all around functional well being. You know, for, for, for human beings. Um, what what do you think about um, you know these these plants being there because it goes back you know well before white man you know um, yeah. sort of walk, walk the earth that you know these indigenous cultures were using them consistently yeah yeah no i agree i mean these are the original medicines mm-hmm. you know it's, it's only in the in the industrial era that uh we've been shaped to think that medicines come from factories mm-hmm. when in fact they don't they come from nature yes you know originally and mm-hmm. uh and i think we're getting to the point now where people are starting to realize that the natural medicines usually work better yes um yeah. and uh and of course the whole pharmaceutical industry has been structured around making profits by not curing people because if you want somebody to buy your pills there's no point in them taking one pill and getting better is there it's, it's a bad business model yes. and uh you know, that, that might sound cynical, but it's actually just true. <laughs> You're right, <laughs> mate. Yeah. Unhealthy people are good for the economy. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's a very pivotal year uh, this year to be able to sort of help people wake up to that. You know, or maybe if I'm going down this pathway, I'm not getting anywhere. Maybe I can explore something else which yeah. uh, can help me. Yeah. You know, have you, have you seen um, strong evidence around people that have had, you know, serious mental health challenges um, you know, try something like this and, and be able to shift? I have. I've seen people have some, you know, radically uh, beneficial effects from psychedelic medicines, but I've also seen people have difficult time as well. And I think uh, we need to be realistic and understand that they're not necessarily, you know, a magic bullet. Um, and unfortunately, there's been a lot of popular press, you know, over recent years, which which do try and make out that they're, you know, the next best thing. Mm. Um, and 
one uh, example of that is is the, the book by Michael Pollan, uh, How to Change Your Mind, um, which uh, you know I saw had a rather detrimental effect on um, psychedelic medicines in some ways because people read the book, thought that this this is kind of a miracle cure, and then went rushing to you know wherever they could find some psychedelics to try them, and then. On, a lot of them got very, very disappointed because it didn't, you know, they weren't suddenly cured. So um, we do need to understand that there is a lot of potential in psychedelics. Uh, they represent a paradigm shift in medicine because they're really taking us into a multi-dimensional space. And so, um, you know, we're starting to call them multi-dimensional medicines and, and the practice of multi-dimensional medicine which is something radically different than our mainstream medical system mm-hmm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, the mainstream medicine based on traditional science uh, actually won't consider anything unless it's measurable on a gauge, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and the, uh, treating the emotional body and, and treating our spiritual selves, uh, which is what psychedelics can do, is something that's just completely left field to mainstream medicine, mm. you know, and, and this is one of the, the problematic aspects of trying to mainstream psychedelics mm. um, is that we really need to re-educate those people that are going to be using and delivering the psychedelics mm. to understand all these multidimensional aspects of, of the medicines. I was um, going to say, like, <clears throat> the, the key that I'm getting there is to approach something like this with curiosity rather than expectation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I... I I would support that, and also to understand that um, their psychedelic medicines also have the potential to unlock our, our what what uh, Michael Mitoffer, who is the senior um, researcher for for MAPS, what he calls our innate healing intelligence, uh, and and I quite like that that angle because um, in my change work. You know, one of the things that I've studied is a body of research which really looks at how humans adapt in our environment. And in order to sustain change, the environment must change around us, you know, because otherwise we're just readapting to, to the way things were if yes. the environment hasn't changed. And, and of course, you know, you, I'm sure you'd be familiar with this concept in, in addiction treatment and that kind of thing. Sure. You put somebody back into the same life conditions, they're likely to do the same thing Absolutely. they did before. Yeah. So, um, so what, our, what psychedelics are doing is that they're putting us into a place which allows us to unlock our, our innate healing intelligence um, and, and to um, gain some visibility about the underlying reasons for whatever it is that we're trying to, to, to heal from, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and being a multidimensional medicine, psychedelics can do things like take us back in time and for somebody who's never tried psychedelics, you might try and think of the experience as a waking dream. So you'll go to sleep at night and, and you drop off and drift into the dream world, you know, where uh, at the sort of initial stages, it might be just like real life where you're interacting with people and having experiences and having feelings and all those sorts of things and having thoughts, but you're actually in a dream. Mm-hmm. And so uh, at the at the sort of first level psychedelics can take us into that that space and mm-hmm. so it that also can allow us to revisit experiences in the past you know it's not uncommon at all for people to go back to a childhood experience relive it with the benefit of being 
uh, like the, in a witness place rather than actually being subjected to whatever it was. Yes. You know? yeah. um, and then and then often even being able to hear helpful dialogue as that happens, uh, which you know depending on your belief system, you could be an angel talking to you or your spirit guides or, or you know whatever whatever fits your your so worldview. Something much deeper than our than our perceived consciousness. And yeah, and, and one thing I'm picking up here is is just how disconnected we are from our healing potential. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole placebo thing shows us that we have the capacity to self-heal, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if we think that we're getting a, a medicine and our body's convinced that we're getting a medicine, then the body heals ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Th- there it is right there. And it, and it is, it's really, it's tapping into that. And it also, it's also giving us an opportunity to consciously work with that. So to, to come to the realisation that we have the capacity to heal ourselves and then be in a space that is supportive, and I'm talking about the psychedelic space that you're in when you've, when you've uh, taken a psychedelic in, in the right setting, um, where you are able to actually calmly observe and learn you know, about your own impact on yourself and the capacity that you have mm. to heal yourself. Mm. Yeah. Incredible, <clears throat> isn't it really? Because we, we're very reactive with healing uh, rather than being proactive. You know, if something happens, um, we go to an intervention, but if we actually like let the body do the work, uh, then usually uh, that will lead to, to good outcomes. So say if you have a wound, um, to be able to, you know, your body knows to, to go straight there and try and heal that wound, you know. Yeah. If we have, uh, you know, a shock um, which can cause PTSD or anxiety or whatever in our lives, um, you, you know, to be able to sort of approach that with curiosity and, um, and allow that to move through possibly rather than being stuck in it because I believe, you know, we have... Um, you know, part of our brain, which is put, you know, which has captured some form of trauma, which has basically kept us, you know, in that state consistently, or we revisit that state. You'll be able to correct me on that, but um, but I just reckon um, we just need to get out of the way sometimes and, and just let things, you know, uh, evolve naturally. Yeah, I agree. We we are well equipped to heal. There's no doubt about that whatsoever, and and we've been conditioned into thinking that we need to find something or someone that's going to fix it for us Mm. yeah Mm. Um, I might just um, throw in here a comment on uh, what what's known in psychedelic therapy sessions uh, uh, sorry psychedelic therapy you know the industry um, as uh, set and setting and that that means the mindset so set refers to the mindset that, that you go into the experience with and setting refers to the, the physical and emotional setting uh, that you are in when you're actually taking the psychedelic. Mm. Um, and some of the, the most renowned and experienced researchers in the world, uh, like uh, Dr. Stanislav Grof, for example, you know, say that the actual set and setting is more important than the drug itself. Um, and what that means is that if you go into a psychedelic healing experience with the right mindset and understanding that you have the capacity to heal yourself, you know, with the, the help of this particular tool, uh, and that you feel comfortable with your surroundings, so you're feeling safe, you don't feel threatened at all, you trust whoever it is who, who is your therapist or co-therapist team, 
um, then you are setting yourself up for the very, very best experience. Mm. And uh, a lot of the bad experiences that people have with psychedelics are the result of having an uh, inappropriate mindset and or taking the drug in a setting that's just not conducive to a good experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and uh, of course many people might have their first psychedelic experience at a music festival or, you know, wherever. So um, people are bound to have uh, unfavourable experiences, you know, without that understanding. Yeah. For what, what I'm hearing is, is if you can lose tension, that's when the healing can, can come. So if you are able to let go fully, that's when, you know, the real stuff can happen. And yeah. that's, a, that's a real key message to humanity, I reckon, to be able to, like, just surrender and let go. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that 100%. And that's one of the interesting things about ayahuasca as a, a psychedelic medicine is... Uh, it can be a bit like a bulldozer. So if, if someone's having trouble letting go, then they'll just get flattened yes. by the medicine yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and learn the hard way, you yeah. know. And, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, I certainly had that experience, uh, not on my first uh, try with the medicine, but, but later on I had some of those experiences, you know, periodically where you, the medicine would just remind you uh, who you are and put you in your place. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, something much more powerful than ourselves. Oh, right? yeah, it absolutely. really is, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you, you look at alcohol, for example, that 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 is very, very powerful in many ways. People utilise it to um, to cope with life primarily. Um, but I just I believe that actually helps us block our consciousness and our potential. You know, it really does sort of inhibit us from from uh, that, 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 that level of self-healing. It's just something which is just, you know, constantly sort of, you know, knocking us down rather than sort of helping us um, move forward. This is where psychedelics can, can probably be something totally different than, than say, alcohol or traditional, um, you know, drugs, which are, I suppose, illegal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another interesting thing to consider about medicines is the dosage is quite critical. Uh, and... Uh, quite literally you can have a medicine which you know at the right dosage is very effective but if you take the wrong dosage it can kill you I mean that's that's just common sense mm-hmm. and so so it is with with all medicines really and uh, things like alcohol you know at the at a small amount the right amount for you in the moment it might be useful and entertaining mm-hmm. you know or relaxing mm-hmm. um, but uh, if you don't pay attention to how much you're taking, then of course you you, you can get bad results. Consequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I might just quickly mention that um, we had a breakthrough in the research world in about uh, really the, the breakthrough came in late 2017 at a conference, a plant medicine conference in Melbourne, where the right people at the right time just happened to be there, and some opportunities opened up. And then it took us until 2020 to actually get our first research study happening here in Australia. But we, we collaborated with St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne to establish a clinical trial uh, to treat near-death anxiety uh, with psilocybin in a, a um, psychotherapy-assisted, you know, psychedelic therapy session. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that trial is uh, getting close to finishing now. Uh, so it's dealing with terminally ill patients and the concept is to give them that altered state multi-dimensional experience to uh, help them understand from a spiritual point of view that there is something out there beyond physical life and and so 
the idea being to try and reduce their anxiety of, of passing over. Mm, really yeah. true, yeah. Yeah, I think we've been really um, programmed into um, disconnection with regards to that. You know, the whole, the whole um, experience of, of, being a, of being a human, uh, you know, is, is, is so much um, away from the truth and our, our real potential to be able to experience the, the full gamut of it and then to be able to experience the journey beyond this. We, we have a real closure with death. But I believe that's that's been programmed the wrong way. It really needs to be a self celebration of, of, of passing on and moving through. And you know, it's very hard to um to to, to understand for you know probably many people listening because we have this uh, set agenda around you know our identity and uh, and all those things which um I suppose uh, take us to uh, you know uh, uh, a feeling of once life's over that's the end. But I believe you know a lot of the ancient traditions of the the, the wisdom. Uh, which is, you know, probably a lot more, I suppose, awake than the, 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 the colonial model, um, may have a different view on, on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of the old traditions uh, used medicines like psychedelics uh, for initiation processes that, that literally initiated people into the, you know, the multinational world so, mm. uh, when they, and, and allowed them to come back understanding that you know this life is is great but it's not all there is yeah that's um, right yeah. so so it was used as a, a sort of a key initiation tool in, in different societies yeah this this these particular medicines which were naturally uh, provided to us um, give us that ability to be able to access this consciousness and this awareness you know but you know so many of us are, are unconscious to that um, you know and, and as I mentioned I've never never tried it but I, I know through just my own, you know, training with yoga and meditation, all those sorts of things, my, my awareness has is, is grown significantly with regards to, you know, my purpose in this lifetime and, and you know, my, my ability to self-heal and all those sorts of things, which, you know, I would not have learned through the, 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 the normal systems and models, you know. I had to yeah. go outside that. And, um, yeah, I just think, you know, a key part of this conversation is to be able to help people listening learn to be curious and learn to expand our um, um, our awareness beyond what we perceive to be real because there's so much more, you know. I've seen people heal themselves of, 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 of illness and terminal illness and injury and that sort of thing by, by shifting their mindset in their direction. And you know, what you mentioned before about um, just just letting go and letting the, the medicine do the work, that, that's a key thing to, to, to healing, would you agree? Yeah, I do agree, absolutely. And it's quite important in, you know, when you're working with psychedelic medicines that having that capacity to let go. Uh, otherwise, if, you, if you're not relaxing and opening yourself to receive the experience, you are in effect blocking it. Mm. And, uh, and I, I saw, I have seen a number of people over the years who've gone along to things like ayahuasca ceremonies and have had the next morning they've said, oh, I didn't have any experience, you know, while the rest of the group is sort of raving about their life-changing experience and you've got, a, you know, people saying, oh, nothing happened. Um, and uh, inevitably over time, you know, if these people kept coming back after sort of sometimes three, four, five experiences, they would have that breakthrough mm-hmm. and then, you know, report some profound experience. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they were clearly just not able to relax, not able to open to the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, a lot of that, is the result of, of you know emotional armoring that's occurred from trauma where 
where they've had to put those blocks up to survive, yes. you know, and mm. uh, just haven't had the opportunity to, to, to even know that those blocks were there in, in many cases. So, so just on that, you know, with, with modern society, we have been trained to build an armour around us. You know, a lot of yeah. my training has been, you know, build your armour through your strength and, you know, your, your self-discipline and that, which I suppose is necessary. But beyond that is so much more. You know, I believe we were created to, to be in a peaceful environment, peaceful situation. Um, but that's been, you know, over, over centuries uh, plagiarised by domination and greed and, and all those things. Yeah. Um, which are not really our purpose and role as humans. There's so much more beyond that, which, um, which we only access a small amount of the time. If we can access that more a large amount of the time and be in the other mindset, um, I suppose, less, less regularly, it actually gives us the ability to be able to reach our potential. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and what you said before about, you know, the things that have helped you sort of get to, to this place, uh, I think is important. And when I had my first psychedelic experience back in 2006, at that time I'd been meditating for seven years and consequently... I found it relatively easy to slide into that multidimensional space. Uh, and I'd, I had had some, with hindsight, some drug-like experiences without any drugs in meditation. <laughs> yeah. you yes. know? Yeah. Um, at the time I was practicing like an open-eyed uh, meditation and I'd had times where the ground started rippling as if it was water and things like that. And uh, um, so, so that kind of... Uh, practice can be very good preparation for psychedelic work mm -hmm. uh, and something else that that people are finding useful too is uh, holotropic breath work mm. um, any kind of breath work really uh, can, can be effective and, and it can help you start to you know shed that armoring and learn to to let go of stuff and, and they're, they're useful skills to have when yes. you're in a psychedelic space yeah. yeah, definitely breathing consciously is a is a gift that we don't um, you know uh, we're unaware of or we don't appreciate. You know, it's one thing to breathe, which we're unconscious of, but if we actually do it consciously, it brings us into the present moment, and we see so much more than what we uh, what we uh, what we perceive. You know, uh, what yeah. we what we think we're 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 going through. You know, once the mind slows down, it's amazing what happens. Meditation can teach us that, but also conscious breathing can uh, can do that as well. And it's, you know, the, the mind is there for a reason. It's, uh, you know, it's there to help and support us, but it can dominate really quickly. If you can be conscious of your breath more than uh, you are unconscious, it actually brings you into a meditative state, um, you know, and you start to see things which you, 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 you probably would not have seen before. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And when you are in that psychedelic altered state, uh, the breath becomes a very, very useful tool. And... You know, I learned after a while how to control my experience to, to a reasonable extent simply by working with my breath, you know, whether it be to ground myself if I was feeling a bit overwhelmed or, um, you know, to change my, the, the way that I was experiencing the medicine and just, just by manipulating my breath was very effective. Mm, for sure, yeah, yeah. It's the stuff they should have taught us at school. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's important. And, and really, you know, it's not our fault that we've been... Um, put into this uh, fear, flight and fight mode, you know, because um, that's that's been you know, part of our, our, our upbringing in this colonial system. But, you know, the more we can do to disconnect from that, great. But I think, you know, anyone listening to this who's having trouble with that, um, you know, and is in a state of uh, stress and anxiety consistently, 
maybe um, you know exploring psychedelics could be something which could uh, potentially help you have a breakthrough uh, and uh, help you on a pathway of uh, I suppose living in more of a calm state would, would you agree yeah I would agree um, just with the the uh, qualification though that it's not necessarily easy to find uh, somebody who can help you here in mm. Australia when it comes to psychedelic therapy. Yeah. I mean, it is still illegal. Uh, it's a fact that there are underground psychedelic therapists operating out there. However, like any new industry, before it becomes formalised, it's it's pretty much the Wild West where, you know, somebody can be... Um, you know, doing some particular job one day and then all of a sudden read a book and say, oh, I think I might become a psychedelic therapist and <laughs> yes, hang out right. their shingle the next day, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, that's happening. Mm. So uh, a word of caution to anybody who, who is, you know, thinking along those lines. We are, um, we are um, fortunate that we've now got an Australian Psychedelic Society which has chapters, I think, in most states. Um, certainly... Um, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth, I know that there are chapters operating. And so if people wanted to to go and talk to somebody about this uh, and and learn more, then they can look up the Australian Psychedelic Society in their particular state, uh, if they're living in a capital city, that is, um, Mm -hmm. and uh, go along to one of the meetings there. And, And usually they have regular meetings where they have a guest speaker. You know, it could be somebody who's doing psychedelic research. It might be, you know... Um, people who are just telling their own story like I am now. Mm. Um, but there you'll find like-minded people and people who have some experience in this, this space who can give you advice. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's amazing, you know, like that we're able to have an open and honest conversation like this, whereas previously we might have like felt uncomfortable to do so. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, back when we started uh, PRISM, Psychedelic Research in Science, in Science and Medicine, uh, not so much for me, but for the other two guys, uh, it was it was almost professional suicide to stand up and say that you were interested in psychedelic research. You know, mm. uh, such, such was the the stigma mm. uh, around these particular drugs, mm. um, and and the the whole drug prohibition situation that we're you know that we've been facing for a long time is is very unhelpful in that respect, mm. and the a lot of the conditioning, the the advertising uh, that's come from government agencies has made us think that the word drug equals bad, you know? And of course, a drug could be anything. It could be sugar, it could be coffee, you mm. know? They're, they're all drugs, technically. Yes, yes. Um, and we've, we've, unfortunately, we've got into that position where it's very easy to be stigmatised. And even though, um, in our case back then, you know, we were looking to do something with MDMA, which had a, a solid research history in America already and was proving to be beneficial. But because people associated MDMA with music festivals, uh, festivals and, <laughs> yeah. you know, people were getting taken to hospital for music festivals because they had some MDMA that was dirty or, you know, not, not clean, uh, yes. contaminated with something. Um, so, yeah, it was very problematic back then. Um, but we, we have, we've definitely turned a corner mm-hmm. since then. And I think it was 2021 that the federal government uh, announced a $15 million research fund to support psychedelic research in Australia and that was a turning point for for Australia. When was that? Uh, 2021, early 2021 I think, yeah. So 15, they've actually committed 15 mil to um, yeah. Right. Okay. yeah, yeah, Jeez. and uh, I think most of that's probably been snapped up already and so 
a lot of the major universities in Australia now have established, um, you know, departments focused on psychedelic research, and uh, that's that's really opened it up. So it's 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 in the process of exploding. Most of those uh, people haven't quite got their clinical trials happening yet, but within the next year or two, we're going to see a whole wave, a new wave of you know research happening based here in Australia, which is great. Incredible. Yeah. Is it, uh, you know, I wouldn't say, from, from my point of view, about time because I've never tried it, but I just think it's, I just think it's important that we're actually, we're open enough now to, to, to explore things which, which can improve, um, you know, humanology. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, I believe that, as I mentioned before, the pharmaceutical model has dominated for the last 50 years. And, you know, maybe it's time to look at possibly doing things differently. So, you know, that's, that's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think my impression is that we're, we're, uh, the whole world is going through a, a consciousness shift at the moment. Uh, and part of that process is that the, our old ways of doing things, you know, call it old, old paradigm if you like, uh, has got to the point where it can't cope with the complexity of, of how the world is today. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the ways that we've been doing things across all fields of discipline, you know, um, aren't working so well anymore and it's time to, to mm-hmm. refresh them and, and find new ways. Yeah. Start to evolve. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mate, it's, um, you know, it's amazing. I, I just think, um, yeah, look, you know, whether... Whether someone, um, you know, is, is wanting to, uh, to, to move out of um, the darkness like you were in, um, you, you know, certainly do your research and, and uh, talk to people like Steve and, and get some evidence before you just rush out and try it or, or try and try it because, uh, as Steve mentioned, um, there, there may be practitioners out there which, which might, might not be the best. So try and find the ones um, which are very supportive of you, um, uh, whether that's in Australia or outside Australia. Uh, and uh, and look at um, you know the best option to be able to help uh, help you uh, on your own journey because I, I believe you know we're all we're all quite different and unique and um, you know it's being able to to be heard and uh, and understood first and foremost and then given a direction which may be able to support that I guess yeah how can people get hold of you if they want to learn more about this um, I'm probably not the best person to talk to 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 be honest with you uh, because I'm. In my current role as, as chairman of the research organisation, I haven't got an executive role, so I'm not actually involved in the research. I'm not involved in giving psychedelic medicines to people. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the best point of contact is really to find your local chapter of the Australian Psychedelic Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you're not in a capital city, then you can contact them through social media. Uh, and uh, and you'll be talking to like-minded people there who who have experience, you know, and all of the people who are who are leading the chapters around Australia are, are all people who've stepped up because they have a either a professional interest in the, the area or, or they're quite experienced, uh, you know, from from the past, mm. uh, and they are uh, in touch with the opportunities, you know, that are out there at the moment. Yeah, that's yeah. that's so amazing that we've already got like a you know a high functioning organization which is which is there and, and, and at reach for people I guess yeah yeah, yeah interestingly Australia um, had a very progressive and still has a very progressive underground when it comes to psychedelics and you know we were we, we're lagging um, you know nearly 20 years behind what's happening in, in terms of research overseas but our underground uh, has been quite progressive and, and is a, a very very interesting store of knowledge 
um, and experience when it comes to psychedelics. Yeah, that's mm. that's you know something that that we've realised over the years. It's, uh, um, it's that it, even even experienced researchers who come from overseas have, have you know sometimes had their eyes open by talking to to some people from uh, the the underground in Australia who've got you know diverse experience with different things. Yeah. Just, just just one other thing is, do, do you know of any um, examples of people that have been able to expand their creativity because they've actually like gone down this path, like someone that might be into music or someone that might be into art that's actually gone and taken something that's helped them expand their, their mind? Yeah, sure. Pink Floyd. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John Lennon, possibly. Yeah. The Beatles, without a doubt. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's very common. You know, yeah. it's, it's a common side effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 right. Incredible. And a beneficial one. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, well, it might help us, you know, uh, shift gears and reach our potential, you know, possibly as well. So, yeah. anything else you'd like to, to add while we're here? Um, look, I, I think uh, it has been a frustrating time, you know, for, for people like us at Prism over the years trying to, you know, get doors opened and people interested in this, this kind of stuff. And it's, I know it's frustrating for a lot of people now who want to get access to these medicines and they can't legally do it because of you know it's they're they're being pushed through the mainstream drug development system, um, but there there are good reasons for that and uh, when we when they do become publicly available as prescription medicines or you know as clinics uh, through clinics here in Australia, we want to have all the people pro- properly trained and experienced. So you you're going to get cared for by somebody who knows what they're doing, and they've got a you know deep understanding of the drug that they're administering, mm-hmm. and how it's going to affect you, and how to help you if you have difficulty during that that time. Um, so uh, it's it's uh, demanding a bit of patience, I know, but we are living at a time of radical change, and I think that, you know the last couple of years have shown us all that pretty pretty quickly that things can change very very quickly and I think that uh, probably what now looks like a long-term drug development process of research and clinical trials uh, may well be cut short by uh, radical changes of view you know within governments and uh, period yeah and uh, the, the authorities, you know, to make these things available sooner than we might expect. Yeah, mm. yeah. Interesting. And that, that's it's on the verge of happening in a in a couple of states in the USA at the moment where the the um, they've had ballots and people have voted to make psychedelic medicines legal and they're they're in the process of kind of making that happen at the moment. Yeah. Usually, if America does something, we do it. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll just see uh, see how that all goes. Yeah, so. yeah. I think uh, you know the next five years or so should be pretty interesting I think mm, yeah. from that angle yeah. yeah mate amazing time to be alive isn't it yeah it is yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah, so. yeah. appreciate it mate and uh, yeah I'm sure we're going to have more chats like this in the future so thank you thanks Aaron great to talk to you